Hello, waffle lovers, and welcome to another episode of Whatever Flips Your Waffle here on 365sportscast.com. I'm your host, Mark Domeyer, coming to you, as always, from the bunker deep in the heart of southern Minnesota. It may be the all-star break in Major League Baseball, but there's no break for the waffle flipper. We're here to talk Minnesota sports once again this week. I'm glad you've decided to tune in. Remember, if you ever want to contact me, give me some thoughts or ideas, maybe you want to be a guest on the show, waffleflipper22 at gmail.com, or you can message me on Twitter at MrD1973. I hope you'll enjoy this week's episode, those of you who come back each and every week, and especially a welcome to those of you checking things out for the first time. Sit back, relax, prepare yourself for another helping of waffles, syrup optional. After this brief commercial break, I'll be back with my interview for the week. This week, I talked to Nick Nelson of Twins Daily. Stick around. Once again, a thanks to Brian Wayne and Wayne Farms for helping to sponsor the program as we put a spotlight on agriculture each and every week here during this time. And this week, it's nearly that time of the year we want to look at that sweet corn that's growing in some of the fields. This is a hard crop to grow, but boy, do we enjoy sweet corn here in the summertime in Minnesota and probably all over this great nation of ours in the uh, Richland, Heartland, Ellendale, Geneva area. A lot of people frequent Colin and Tory's sweet corn, some local growers. And I know that by the time you listen to this, it's going to be nearly time for them to harvest their first crops. And we'll be having that great sweet corn that we love so much. Again, a difficult crop to grow a lot at the whims of Mother Nature. A lot of times we would have had it before now. It's just never quite the same buying it from a grocery store as it is one of these people who grow it and um, sell it at different places um, you know, around town at gas stations and restaurants and, and stuff like that. So again, thanks to all of our agriculture folks around here. And this week, that spotlight on the sweet corn that will be coming our way soon. Thanks to Brian Wayne and Wayne Farms for once again sponsoring the program. Joining Whatever Flips Your Waffle this week on 365sportscast.com, we've got Nick Nelson with us. Nick is the co-owner of Twins Daily that we talk about on here frequently. Nick, welcome to the program. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, just to start off, tell us a little bit about how Twins Daily kind of came to be and and um, and how you get all that great information that you guys have on there. Yeah, thanks. So uh, about, you know, the, the, 20, the 2000s, the first decade, sort of, uh, I started <laughs> writing about the Twins on my own and uh, came, came to know a few other guys that were doing it at a a fairly high level, John Bonus, uh, Parker Hageman, and Seth Stowes. Uh, and we just sort of naturally came together, started holding some events for Twins fans, you know, just informal gatherings at the bar before a game or, or to watch a road game. <laughs> right. Uh, started started collaborating on some content, and it sort of naturally came together where we're like, why not just, uh, why not just all come together, bring our audiences together, and create like a community site to create a platform for writers, you know, kind of what we had always wanted as, as we developed our own platform. So... In a nutshell, that's kind of how it came together. We launched Twins Daily in uh, 2012, and now here, over a decade later, it's uh, it's become the community we always hoped it would be, thanks to all the great writers, uh, like some of the guys you've had on your show here. Yeah, and you know, when you say community, that's what I see most. And there's, you know, there's um, forums and and blogs and people talking back and forth and giving their their own you know views as just as fans and and good interaction. Uh, yeah, you mentioned we've had Ted Schwartzler, Theo Tullifson was on here recently. Um, you know, guys who are a little bit in the know, and we appreciate having you on too to talk 
Twins baseball as we have reached the All-Star break. And Nick, when we look at the Twins season so far, you know, Twins fans, especially in social media, tend to have kind of an overreaction to any given day or series. But were there really that many people who thought at the All-Star break they would be in first place? No, I mean, they certainly were not favored in the division. You know, the White Sox, if, if you take a step back from the frustration maybe of the last few weeks and the sort of <laughs> underwhelming play, I do think it's, it's good, like you say, to, to take a little bit of a reset on perspective and realize uh, this team finished in last place last year. They were not expected to return to relevance this quickly by many people, certainly not by Vegas. Uh, and, and here they are, you know, still up by a couple games, still with a chance to take this division, but obviously they're going to need to turn some things around because uh, the trends that are taking place right now are not especially promising. Right, yeah, it, it's it's kind of that matter of you, you still hold out hope and you see all the talent this team has, but maybe they are who we thought they were, a team that would perhaps contend for a wild card and kind of be in the mix, and that makes it a little bit difficult as we get toward the trade deadline too. Yeah, I think they face a really interesting decision here at the trade deadline. Uh, you know, they have to ask themselves, yeah, are we really a team that's in a position to make a push, uh, you know, realistically, uh, you know, is, is it worth sort of investing that future capital to get better right now and improve your chances? Or is that maybe a misstep because you maybe are still looking at 2023 as the year when you're really able to make that push? Uh, I think you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice to not make any significant moves at this deadline. I do think this team is obviously, like we said, they're in first place. And if you get to the playoffs, anything can happen, especially if you don't have to play the Yankees or Astros in the first round. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so... So, I, so, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of sort of things that the front office has to weigh here, and uh, it, it's a complicated situation. I know a lot of people just want to say go all in, as, as always, but is, is that really the good strategic choice? Yeah, because the reality is the Yankees and the Astros are very good, and they'll more than likely be the one and two seeds, and, and you won't have to play them in the first round, so there's there's a chance to at least win a game. But, but yeah, can you contend this year? And like you say, anything can happen. You get to the playoffs, people go get really hot, pitcher gets really hot, um, the bullpen actually comes through. Uh, but, but you don't know. So I, I, I think, too, that the, the past that we've seen with the front office is we're going to make a move or two, but we're not going to sell the farm. Right. And, and I think, you know, that's not going to enthrall a lot of people, but... I think it makes sense. Um, you know, people people love the idea of the big deadline move. They often don't look at the downside. You know, you look at some of the moves the teams have made, I think, just last year to the White Sox trading Nick Madrigal for Craig Kimbrell, you know, for a, a couple months of an expensive reliever. Yep. Um, you know, are these uh, – and it did, it did them no good last year. They, they got knocked out of the playoffs as quickly as the Twins always have. So, um, you know, it's it, – we think back to a few years ago when the Twins were maybe thinking about trading Byron Buxton for Noah Syndergaard. Uh, yeah. That would have been a complete disaster in retrospect. So it's like, you, you do have to weigh the downside, and it's very real. Right. And, you know, you, you think about, for instance, one trade the Twins made last year, trading Nelson Cruz and getting Joe Ryan. Well, that didn't work out for Tampa quite as well, but we're sure happy with it. Exactly, yeah. That's that's the flip side. I mean, the Twins, uh, yeah, where would they be without Joe Ryan right now? Yeah, right. A lot of these guys. And when we look at this first half of the season, you know, I, I started thinking about my thoughts before the season. I I, I was excited by, by the Byron Buxton signing, and, and already he's certainly lived up to his his contract. I mean, I think he's more than lived up to what they're paying him this year. Oh, I agree. Uh, you know, there's obviously some quibbles with his performance, especially of late, but, I mean, he's an all-star starter. What more can you ask for? Um, 
You know, he's, he's been a little one-dimensional at the home run hitting, but no one can deny that those home runs have almost always come in extremely crucial spots and been huge difference makers. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased with what we've seen from Buxton, but hopefully the, the break serves as a little chance for him to reset um, because the strikeouts and, and the, uh, the outmaking have been a little out of control for the last few weeks. Yeah, and, you know, everybody including myself maybe to a degree, overreacted a bit when they talked about this plan to rest him periodically. But he's on pace to pay, play something like 126 ball games or something this year. Uh, I, I don't think, and that's maybe, he'll, he'll probably get some more days off down the home stretch when they're playing every day. But I'll take 120 games out of an all-star center fielder. Oh, definitely. And, you know, of late he's been playing every day. Um it helps the way the schedule is right now, you know, getting this big break for the all-star break, uh, five days off this week, and then they have two off days next week. So I do think they'll be able to run him out uh, pretty much every day, but you do have to ask yourself how healthy he is. I mean, he's healthy enough. You know, he's not out there wincing anymore. It's not as visibly obvious that he's playing hurt, but you still look at the results compared to what he was doing earlier, and it's quite jarring. Yeah, right. Right, and I, I was certainly glad when he said, well, I'm not going to participate in the home run derby. I thought, well, no, please don't, uh, not, not if your knee is acting up. Um, could he win it? Sure. Was that going to do anything? Nothing at all. Uh, that's not going to help matters at all. Uh, you know, no, I, I agree. Yeah, you know, when you, and you talk about not selling the farm and, and looking at what has helped coming up from the minor leagues already this year, when you look at, um, Jose Miranda has come up and after a rough start has really come on of late that's why you have to be cautious about trading away some of these guys that are at the double A AA or triple A level yeah no doubt uh, you know they've gotten got huge contributions from him I think they've got a few other players uh, in the high minors guys like Spencer Steer uh, who are pretty interesting you know could, could be names that come up at the trade deadline I think if the Twins make a significant move they're going to be looking for someone with control beyond this year because as we discussed earlier it really seems like they're kind of targeting 2023 as the year when they can kind of make that full push um, so they're going to have to have to give up something to get a player like that and I think you know Jose Miranda could be a name that's on the table depending on uh, you know how sort of how, how high they want to aim uh, how big of a swing they want to take so, yeah. but you're right I mean you look at the, the difference he's made uh, especially with Royce Lewis going down I think he's been absolutely critical well, and the Royce Lewis injury really puts a, a, a different perspective because nobody's really sure when he's going to come back next year, how, how good he might be. Again, he too was flashing some signs of this is why this guy was the number one overall pick. But, you know, with Correa likely only being here for a year, though, every now and then I get this good feeling that they'd sign him to a long-term deal. That's, I think, you have to be really cautious, too. And I think the Twins, without really knowing Lewis's future, that that adds a little extra to that whole mix of making those types of moves. Yeah, that that definitely. Um, you know, you said it. I think that shortstop position is is kind of in flux right now. Obviously, that injury was incredibly unfortunate with the timing of it. Um, they'll probably be looking for for a placeholder to fill in until Royce comes back. But can you feel fully confident he's going to come back and be your regular shortstop after a second straight major knee injury? I don't think you can you can take it for granted. So no. that definitely throws a wrench into their planning. Yeah, and and as we'll talk about the draft a little bit later, and <laughs> there might be some shortstops that will uh, that'll move through the minor leagues uh, in our near future as well. We've got Nick Nelson from Twins Daily. He's one of the co-owners of Twins Daily, and uh, um, as he says on his 
uh, Twitter page you look like a tortured Minnesota sports fan along with the rest of us uh, <laughs> it, it is difficult I had a Facebook memory the other day that I had apparently um, in I don't know what it was maybe 2011 2012 I had rewatched the uh, the 1991 World Series and I commented on that and somebody told me to get over it and I said what else do I have you know, <laughs> I, I've got to be able to go back and watch that and, and enjoy those those glory days from when I was a youngster. Um, well, you know, it's, it's, you bring that up, and it's funny, because I was thinking about that the other day. You know, everyone talks about the L.A. stretch in the playoffs of the Twins, which is obviously a mind-boggling level of ineptitude and incompetency and, yeah. and terrible luck, honestly. I mean, you wouldn't expect the Royals to lose to the Yankees that many times in a row. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but at the same time, if you look at their stretch before, I mean, obviously it's been a long run of, of losing, but... They made it to the ALCS in 2002. Yep. The previous time they won a World Series. The previous time before that they won a World Series. It's not like this franchise has shown that it has some, it can't win in the playoffs, you know? Right. And to me, it's like whatever happened in 2004 with Ron Gardenhire has as much relevancy today as what happened in 1991 with Tom Kelly. You know, they're just completely different teams and players. So I try to encourage people to get out of the mindset that there's just no chance the Twins can win the playoffs. It's really <laughs> just it's just a bad luck streak. Yeah, well, and you can take that back because it's also a, a different style of baseball than it was. But you can go back even prior to 87 and say, well, they got swept in 1970. They got swept in 1969. They lost game seven in 1965. So they were on a losing streak there, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it ebbs and flows. Uh, that's, that's the nature of baseball. Yeah. And, and it, you know, when we talk about the different styles, and, and it's still hard for me um, to I, I sit and I either watch or listen to the games, and the, the the changes in pitching perhaps bother me the most. And maybe I listen to Dan Gladden way too much on the radio. Um, he, and Jim Cott was on the, uh, this weekend too, talking about these guys just um, don't pitch as much, and the bullpens are used very differently. And that that's where the you know Derek Falvey was on before the pregame on Sunday, and talking about the bullpen and why they don't go out and spend a lot on bullpen guys because they're they're so up and down and we've seen that this year with the twins bullpen just within the course of one season no i think there's a lot of a lot of validity to that i mean it's easy to say the twins need to invest more in relief pitching but when you look at what's happened when they've uh, you know invested any kind of serious dollars into that get a guy like alex colome or a guy like addison reed who looks as reliable as can be on the surface, but, you know, to your point, I mean, relief pitchers are volatile. I'm sure, I'm sure the White Sox thought they were getting a, a good, high-quality veteran in Joe Kelly this year when they threw a bunch of money at him, and, and we see how that's go. That's pretty typical, you know? Right. Sometimes you get a Kendall Graveman, though. Well, <laughs> it's, uh, and, it's that, and that's just it. And we see they can they can flame out in a hurry, too. They can be really, really good for a while, and it doesn't take much. And just even within... So if I take Sunday's game in a nutshell, and... You look at a guy like Chris Archer who's cruising along, and all of a sudden, within five minutes' time, the game is over. Uh, you know, we we see that so quickly, and that doesn't mean Chris Archer's done for the year. But that can happen where, like, an Emilio Pagan can go out there and be lights out for three straight outings, and then look like everybody wants to DFA him uh, instantly the next two times. Yeah, no, it's uh, and it's it's always what have you done for me lately, which which I get, but. Uh... You know, you got to take a step back and look at the hole. Um, you know, if you have a guy and can get strikeouts, which not a lot of guys in this if this bullpen can, I think Chris Archer brings something to the table that's, that not a lot of uh, starters in this rotation do. He's experienced. He's got good stuff, um, you know. so But they're navigating through things. I mean, there's any 
limits and restrictions. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of a lot of things for, for Rocco in the front office to kind of be dealing with. Right. So I want to throw this idea at you. I've, I've thrown this out a couple times on the show, and I've talked to some different people. I want to get your take on it. This is my brilliant new idea, and uh, Rocco is going to call me up and thank me, and I'm going to get a, a job on the staff and make a lot of money. Um, I want to see, because because Archer's limited, and I understand that, and I get it. You know, four innings, maybe five. He's got a real, a real pretty steady pitch count. And when a guy like Bailey Over comes back, Josh Winder... Why not plan a day where one of them starts and the other is the first reliever, no matter what the game is? So now you're going to get eight innings at least out of two guys. I think they would love to do that. In fact, I think that's kind of been their plan. You know, early in the season, I feel like they were doing some piggybacking with, with certain guys. You know, they'd have Winder come in and throw three or four innings in relief. Yeah. Uh, things just haven't shaken out depth-wise to the extent that they're able to do that. Um, lately, I, I just don't think, you know, as you mentioned, Ober's been sidelined. Um, and, and another problem is that just even the starters that they kind of count on to go a little longer, like Sonny Gray, are not delivering the innings. So they're just right. they're stretching the length in their bullpen. But I do think if we get everyone healthy again, you know, you get wider back on track, hopefully. Um, you know, maybe you get Smelter up into a long relief role, and you start sort of piggybacking those guys, especially two pitchers like that, where you're giving these lineups very different looks. You know, going from a hard-throwing right to a strikeout stuff, more of the, the finesse uh, lefty in Smelter. I think that's that's an interesting approach, and I wouldn't be at all surprised to see that down the stretch. Well, you know, because the the clear picture is if, if they make the playoffs, you're not going to put Chris Archer probably out there to start a game unless you have a plan like that. You know, if you say we're going to have Sonny Gray and and um, I just blanked uh, Joe Ryan, and then in Game Three we're going to do this. You know, we're gonna we're gonna have these two guys. I, you know, that. Otherwise, they're going to be in the bullpen if they make the postseason roster. Chris Archer, that's that's that'll be his role, I think, in a, in a potential postseason. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, they're kind of in a position where they have to use the quantity of their of their pitching at least as it's currently made up. Uh, if they want to have a chance, you know, they don't have an ace. They're going to be able to throw for seven or eight innings at, at a good team. Um, so if they want to compete, especially if they were to. Knock on wood, get get to a second round matchup against a powerhouse like the Astros and Yankees. Uh, they probably would have to do something like that, where it's like we're going to throw Chris Archer one time through the order. That's it. You know, we're going to draw the line. You know, yep. we'll get back to successful. But um, that's what you're going to have to do against a team like that with this pitching staff. Do you want to have a chance to overcome them? Well, and and like you had mentioned, I love the idea of throwing a different look at him. This guy throws harder. This guy not as much. I've seen that. My daughter played softball through high school and. And her coach sometimes would do that, have have bring in a different pitcher for partway through the game for one time through the order, then go back to the starting one. How in the world, you know, <laughs> can you adjust to that when they throw right. ten mile an hour difference just to start off with with their fastball? Um, and I think the Twins could be there too. And I, I always like to sneak this name out there, um, Kenta Maeda. If when he comes back, I think he's a real wild card in bull, in the bullpen. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think he'll. If they stay, if they stay in a position where they can win the division, uh, and it looks like they have postseason aspirations, I do think they'll be back as a reliever in September. And as you mentioned, I mean, he's a guy who's pitched in relief uh, many, many times for the Dodgers. He's done it in the playoffs. He's been very successful in that kind of role. So, uh, like you mentioned, I think he's a huge wild card for this team. Yeah, and, and you know, when you read the updates, and of course, nobody's ever, you know, telling you everything about what's going on, but. He sounds positive. The twins sound positive. He'll be back this year. And but you know, an inning or two at a time, you build him up, and then 
you know, in, in 23, perhaps back into the rotation. But that depth, you know, when we talk about the ability to take two starters and maybe use them in the same game, the depth that they've had in the starting pitching, to me, has been a real surprise. Um, and again, it's the up and down. Smelter was lights out for a while. Now he's been roughed up a little bit, uh, you know, winder too. But that's a good sign for the future as well. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, when you can, that, that was sort of the hope is that they'd be able to go down and grab some of these young pitchers when they need them. Um, it's very unfortunate that their top pitching prospect coming into the year, Jordan Belazovic, has really just had a, a lost season. Um, he's really been struggling at AAA. But you do have Winder. Um, you know, Smelter's a nice piece to be able to bring up. And they've got a couple other guys that, that could still come up and make an impact. You look at Cole Sands, um, you Matt Cantorino uh, down at AA if he gets healthy. So um, they've got a, I think the, the idea with the Twins this year was that they'd be able to ride some of these young arms. And they've been able to do that to an extent, even though uh, that plan has been hitting, hitting some friction lately. Right. Well, and, you know, last year when they had to bring some of these guys up, and I'm thinking of like Bailey Ober, um, maybe not quite ready for prime time yet. But has really developed, and you mentioned Cole Sands, and he got roughed up earlier this year when he came to the big leagues. But that's a learning experience, and now you adjust and and change. Right. I mean, even even great pitching prospects tend to struggle out of the gates of the major leagues. It's the nature of the beast. I mean, I think most of us remember Jose Barrios' debut. It was not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And uh, you know, there too, that that bulldog starting pitcher. I don't know that you know if you look. I believe I'm right in this that the the longest twin start this year was by Dylan Bundy of all people who went eight innings against Arizona. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. Um, they're, they're not they're not, and the only reason he did that in that case, I think, was because they had such a huge lead. They just really don't uh, want to be stretching their starters. They're not really. I know fans want to see more of that traditional bulldog inning eater, but it's just not how their team's built. It's not how they're philosophically set up. Um, you know and seems like the Rays have been doing this successfully, and that's clearly who the model they're trying to follow. Right, right. And it's tough for me, like I say, a little old school at times, to say, well, it's the third time through the order, now we're going to pull them, even if they're performing very well. And part of me wants to say, well, let them out there a little bit. But then again, we see what happened to Archer in a matter of five minutes, and now you got to get somebody warmed up, and it falls apart in a hurry, too. So Yeah, and we've seen it with Smeltzer as well. Um, you know, I think they've tried to, tried to get them a little more run the last couple starts and all of a sudden the third time through the lineup they're just hitting bombs off him and then after his last start he's like well, I would have liked to be out there for a couple more innings and it's like well you just showed us five. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah right right I want to throw one name out of the bullpen at you at the start of the year I said that I thought the the most underrated signing the twins made was Joe Smith and early in the season that looked like I was a genius uh not so much after his injury has the injury really hurt him that much or is this just this is age and everything else catching up to him. I think it's it's a combination. You know, you walk a tight line when you're throwing 86 miles an hour as sort of a gimmicky side-arming right-hander. Um, and as you said, it was working for him for a while. I don't know if maybe he's just lost a little bit since he came back from that injury. Uh, but I, I do think just kind of regression and luck have been catching up with him over time. But, yeah, that outing yesterday was... I mean, that Ooh. was close to being his DFA on the spot. That was the <laughs> ugliest outing I've seen all year from a pitcher. Yeah, and again, it's not like you have somebody else warming up immediately right behind him. He's got to just sort of take his lumps, and, and that's kind of how it went. Um, we got Nick Nelson with us here on Whatever Flips Your Waffle. He is co-owner of Twins Daily, and we're talking Twins here at the All-Star break. One other thing you know, that I think about with the Twins is, again, that, that changing things up a little bit, adjusting 
you know, when you play a basketball game or a football game, you go in at halftime, you make adjustments, you come out. In baseball, there's some adjustments from at-bat to at-bat or from from um, facing him as a pitcher. But it seems like some of the things, like we mentioned Joe Smith, were working early in the season. Teams are adjusting. Teams are adjusting to Joe Ryan a little bit. They're adjusting to Devin Smeltzer, and they're making some plans. So now does have to fall back on the Twins without their pitching coach, Wes Johnson, to make those adjustments here over the break and, and come out looking a little bit different. Yeah, that's that's the call for them right now is they need to figure out how they can turn around some of these trends. Um, you know, I think what's really troubling to me is just the strikeouts have gone away for a lot of these pitchers. Uh, Sonny Gray has, has not been striking pick bad hitters out like he was earlier in the year. Uh, Josh Winder, I think, in his last five outings has more walks than strikeouts. Um, and, you know, these are guys who are, who are pumping heat and throwing the ball past hitters early in the season, and that's gone away, and we've seen, you know, I mean, even when you're not giving up home runs, like Gray hasn't really, for the most part, he gave up that huge grand slam against Robert, but um, it just hits string together, and runs start to get scored, and that's something they were able to avoid early in the year, so I do think it is incumbent upon Pete Mackey, uh, Colby Suggs, the new pitching coach who was added, uh, to, to work with these guys and figure out, how can we get your stuff going again? Um, you know, I'm sure maybe a little time off for the break will help, but yeah, if they can't get back to striking people out, I don't know how this staff is going to have any success. Well, they, they mentioned it when Joanne Duran was in um, Saturday, I think, for the save. And he had gone, I don't know, like like two innings prior to that without striking anybody out, which seemed really odd for a guy who throws over 100 miles an hour. Yeah, we're seeing it all over the place. And I think, to your point, it is a lot of scouting. I mean... Duran is not a player who is familiar at all to any of these teams before he came along this year and kind of exploded onto the scene. They've had some time to, to get to know his repertoire and his patterns and his behaviors, and they're, they're on his stuff a little more. You know, we, a couple weeks ago we saw him have one of his worst, worst outings when he took a loss. It was just kind of jarring because we haven't really seen that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and we're seeing it on the other side, too. I think teams have adjusted to Boston and the fact that he's swinging for the fences every time, and now he's striking out all the time. I think a lot of these players need to take this time, take a step back and say, what kind of adjustments can I make over these final two months to get back on track? Yeah, and those adjustments and that, you know, Duran is one of them. But now with the injury to Jeffers, who I thought had been doing a pretty good job of handling this pitching staff, and now the bulk of that will fall on Gary Sanchez um, calling games, you know, do they have to make some adjustments from from understanding that? Again, you know, I... I listen to a lot more games than I end up watching just because uh, Bally Sports North isn't widely available for a lot of us. And, uh, uh, you know, listening to the commentators talk about, I don't know why in the world he would call that pitch in that situation. Again, Gladden's very blunt when he says things like that. Um, but you wonder, are they, are they trying to be sneaky? Are they, you know, they have to make some changes there too. Jeffers hurts them, I think, being out. You're right. It's an underrated loss. Um, you know, I think not a lot of people necessarily recognize the value that Jeffers was bringing because a lot of catching, especially defensively, is kind of subtle and difficult to measure. Uh, but he steals strikes. And, you know, the biggest thing is I just think the pitchers are comfortable working with him and they trust him. Uh, you know, for Sonny Gray's first, I don't know, 10 or 12 starts of the twin, he worked with Ryan Jeffers exclusively because um, those who remember when he played in the Yan- uh, with the Yankees a few years ago, oh, yeah. Sanchez, he... He had a preference to not throw to Gary Sanchez, and he was, you know, I mean, he tried to be nice about it, but he just did not enjoy working with Sanchez, and now he's going to have to throw the rest of these pitches. He's the starting catcher now, so right. that's that's an underrated challenge they're going to have to deal with, and I'm curious to see if it'll compel them to look for catching at the trade deadline here. Right, because Caleb Hamilton came up, and, you know, he made an appearance on Sunday, but Falvey 
alluded to that as well in his pregame show on Sunday that, hey, maybe we have to look at it a little bit different, and that changes the way that we talk to teams. And again, how much are you willing to give up for a catcher who you don't plan to probably use after this year? I mean, who knows? Sanchez, I think, is a free agent at the end of the season. Um, but but Jeffers would be your plan for the for the future too, I think. Yeah, you know, I could see them. I could see some value in going after a guy who's going to be here after this year. But I think that the key point there that you kind of alluded to as well is not only are they necessarily going to. I mean, they're not looking for a starter beyond this year. I think they still believe in Jeffers, rightfully so. Uh, but they probably wouldn't be using whoever they pick up in the playoffs because Jeffers is out for six to eight weeks, which would put him on a timeline to return just before the postseason. So. Um, that's another thing to account for. You know, you're looking for a guy that's going to help you for a couple months as a part-time catcher. What's that worth to you? Right. Because, I mean, Sanchez can do the job, and, and, and he's been better defensively than than what people thought he would be. Um, offensively, he's been what we expected him to be. But, yeah, it, what, ha- what happens if something happens to Gary Sanchez? Now you're really up a crick because nobody else has really proven in the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, even Caleb Hamilton, he's been having a good season offensively at AAA, but this is a guy who is not even a full-time catcher at the minors. He's playing DH third base. Um, so I haven't seen him play a whole lot, but I think it's fair to say he probably doesn't have super special catching chops. Right, yeah. <laughs> is there anybody else in the minor leagues right now that you think might show up before the end of the season and, and make a difference, or are these just guys that are going to kind of come in and out uh, if there's an injury or, or, or other concerns like that? A uh, couple names I think I mentioned earlier. Spencer Steer is a guy uh, who's in AAA. Um, he's having a really great season. He had a breakout year last year. He's been following it up uh, really well. He was representing the Twins at the Futures game, as was a guy named Matt Walner. Uh, he's a, a Minnesota native who they drafted a few years ago, been a huge power hitter in the minors. Um, I think Steer is more likely a guy that we could see come up in factor. Is you know he's a versatile defender who could play around if someone gets hurt or they're looking for a bit of a, a boost. I could see him coming in. Uh, Matt Cantorino on the pitching side, he's, he's had a lot of health issues, but he's got some of the best stuff in the organization. I think as far as getting a a real jolt for the pitching staff internally, he's maybe their best bet. And then the other name is uh, a guy that maybe people aren't too jazzed about right now, but Miguel Sano is in AAA. He <laughs> hit two home runs on Saturday night. He's on his way back. Um, people are down on him, understandably, but for a team that really seems like it needs a spark right now, right. I don't see how they can at least give Sano a chance and see if they can capture that lightning in a bottle like they got down the stretch in 2019 when he was slugging like an MVP uh, and really helped carry them to that division title. And I was going to bring up Sano, you beat me to the punch. Uh, and I think his th- there's a limited time when uh, a batter begins rehab. He's got to, they got to make a decision by next weekend with in yeah, the Detroit series. Seven days away. Yeah, so, and I, I foresee, you have to bring him in. Um, it can't hurt, I don't think. Um, but he would be DH almost exclusively, Wendy. You're not going to put him back at first base. Yeah, I mean, I can see him getting a, a rep here and there at first base with, you know, against maybe a lefty with a rise sitting or, or Kirloff going to DH or something. But uh, I certainly can't see any scenario in which you'd be starting him at first base against a righty over either of those guys. No. And, and he's got motivation. I mean, the Twins are not going to bring him back next year. I can't, I can't picture that scenario. So he's got to be motivated here to do well because he wants a contract next year that's going to pay him some money. Yeah, no, he's, he's literally playing for his career. Uh, so that's one kind of, one of the reasons I'm really, one of the reasons I was interested to see him this season in general. Obviously things got off to a really bad start for him. Um, and now this is really feels like his last chance to come and show what he's got. I think if he doesn't, 
if he doesn't show a lot here, I don't know, he might be looking at a minor league deal in the offseason. Yeah, that, that, it could be. Uh, Nick Nelson is with us from Twins Daily. We're talking Twins here at the All-Star break on whatever flips your waffle. Uh, you know, is Sano somebody that anybody would even take off your hands in a trade at all, or is that not even worth thinking about? I don't think so. No. I mean, with the money that he's owed and what he showed and now coming off an injury, um, you know, if they DFA'd him, maybe someone would pick him up with pennies on the dollar, but I, I don't think there's any trade value there right now. Okay. what We've talked a little bit about some trade possibilities, and, and like I say, I think they're going to make a deal or two because you are in the in the playoff race and you have to you have to do something to try to change things around but um exclusively pitching you start to see the twins name floated around there for some other guys out there including Juan Soto I can't even imagine what that would take to get him and why we would do that yeah I mean it's fun to dream about because he's the big name on the market but uh that's not happening (laughs) no 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 I think something I saw and it it was probably one of one of the Twins Daily guys put out there. It might have been Seth Stowe's uh, about somebody. Somebody put out who we'd all have to give up to get him, and I went, "Oh my!" It was about everybody, <laughs> most of our infield. Yeah. And uh, no, it's not going to happen. But do they look for another bat? I mean, is that a possibility too? That that this offense could use a spark if Sano isn't the one to do it. Yeah, I just think that's so low on the priority list. Um, I, I would I would really be totally interested in going after pitching at this point. Um, you know, I could see a scenario where a role player would be helpful, but uh, or a catcher, obviously. I think yeah. that's, that's sort of the exception. But um, I, I really think pitching is going to be what they're going to be looking at almost exclusively. This lineup is, is deep. I mean, it's top to bottom. You know, I mean, Jeffers going down hurts, but they really have above-average hitters at every spot and a few potentially elite guys in the likes of Arias and, and uh, Curry and Buxton. So um, I, I would probably leave that as it is. Yeah, and I think I, I read in the Minneapolis Star Tribune this morning something about, um, you know, we feel like there are times that the Twins look like the one of the best teams in baseball and times they look like the complete opposite. And to be a little bit more consistent at the top instead of this this roller coaster ride that they take us on, um, and and part of that is the offense just got to get the guys firing on the same cylinders at the same time. Any concern about coming off a really long all-star break? We've never seen this before, coming, not playing till Saturday. Um, or are these guys going to, you know, in, in addition to getting some rest, kind of get in there and get their swings and, and everything else? I know Rocco's offering some, I don't open gym, you could call it or something. Um, but are, is there a concern about that too? Uh, I mean, yeah, we talked earlier about the need to make adjustments, and clearly some of these hitters need to do so. I mean, I really think the key piece here is Buxton. I look at him, and to me, he feels very emblematic of this lineup as a whole, in that he's very power-driven as a player, very power-dependent. You know, his production really hinges on hitting those home runs. Uh, very all-or-nothing, and that's kind of what we've seen from the Twins' offense. They're all-or-nothing. They can pull up on a certain day. It's, you know, they had a week uh, last week, I think, where they scored five or six runs plus in every game. Uh, and then they go in, into their shell this week, you know, and they're not even really giving the team a chance to win. It's just kind of these long strings of, of fruitless at-bats. Uh, and so I think, you know, Boston stepping up and getting a little more consistent, becoming a little less, you know, completely dependent on hitting these home runs here and there would go a long way towards setting a tone that the rest of the offense can follow. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the draft. Um, as, as things came out on Sunday night with the Twins having three picks on uh, Sunday evening and... As your own Seth Stowe's wrote, twins are thrilled 
with the drafts first night, and I don't think that's hyperbole. I think they really got some guys that can that can play ball here, starting with Brooks Lee, who fell to them, most people would say, at number eight. Yeah, I'm not too, you know, I've, I've been reading the, the profiles and reports on Twins Daily. That's about the extent of my knowledge of this draft class, and obviously we all know that the baseball draft is, is a crapshoot where you're not going to see the results and be able to really analyze it effectively for several years, but I think you're right. I think from all outside perspectives, it looks like the Twins did really well here. They got a guy with their first pick who, um, you know, kind of one of these bat-first, versatile offensive college players, pretty similar to the kind of guys they've been drafting. Uh, But he was very high on a lot of boards. I think Baseball America had him as their number two player in the draft. Uh, And the guy they got with their second pick, this this left-handed pitcher out of Alabama, uh, seen by some as a top-ten talent coming out of high school, you know, a top-ten draft pick, had some injury issues. Uh, which knocked down his stock a little bit, and the Twins were able to get him a lower, little lower than expected. I think that's the kind of scenario you want when you're picking at that spot. Right. Connor, and I'm going to mispronounce his last name, Prelip, I think, is it? Um, yeah, sounds right. Left-handed yeah. pitcher. And he had, he had Tommy, Tommy John surgery, but he was able, as I looked into this a little bit, he was able to throw a little bit, um, kind of show that he's, he's on his way back, and he's probably not 100% yet. But uh, they were seeing some really good stuff, some good velocity in the mid-'90s out of him. And uh, again, like you say, when somebody falls to you or, or previously had some really good, really good stuff, if if you're second round, you're picking up a guy who could potentially, again, injuries can play a role in a lot of other things, but potentially be top of the rotation. Um, you're going to be pretty happy with that. And like you said too, it's it's a crapshoot. You have no idea. Some of these guys are going to be fantastic. Some are we'll never hear of them again. We'll say who who is that? And even you know the versatility you mentioned that with like a Brooks Lee and a, a Tanner Schobel that they got in the compensatory round. Um, they're listed as shortstops. That doesn't mean anything. Not not at this point. No, we've seen that play out with several Twins prospects. You know, uh, I think a lot of top talents are, are considered shortstops coming into the draft, and very few of them are several years later because playing shortstop at the highest level is incredibly difficult. Yeah, right. And, and the Twins love versatility. I mean, you look at a Nick Gordon and what he's done, and an Alex Kirilov, and, uh, you know, even Polanco moving around, Arise certainly can play really most positions in the infield. The Twins are going to take that every day of the week. Of course, and that's why you kind of see the value. You know, we discussed earlier, is there some, is there some chance that they, they, they make the big splash investment and find a way to lock up Carlos Correa long-term? Uh, to have that long-term piece at shortstop and be able to build around it just makes things so much easier because they do have a lot of versatility, but not really any guys that can play short, and I think that's, that's kind of come through as the, the flaw or the, the gap in their planning. Right. And I, again, that, that um, wonderful scenario of Correa being here long term and, and with Royce Lewis's uncertainty, but you can move Lewis around if need be. Um, I really like Gio or Shell. I like what he's brought to the team. We get him for at least one more year, um, but he's never going to be a splashy player. He's going to be solid. He's going to be a Gary Gaetti, if I can go way back in time again. He's going to be a guy who does the job for you. Um, but I can imagine an infield potentially, again, imagine, Correa, Royce Lewis, uh, that's the stuff dreams might be made of. Yeah, on the left side there, that would be awesome. And I do think before he went down with the injury, we did see out of Lewis that he's going to be capable of being, you know, playing some different positions. I think he showed that he can play short. But maybe I don't want to see him in center anymore just because yeah. of, uh, you know, <laughs> being a little burnt on that. But, but I, I think he could play third base. I think he could play second base. I think... There's a lot of options, uh, and 
yeah, you know, if they could get that shortstop position locked down, it would give them a lot of flexibility. I think, you know, most people would agree the first half MVP is probably Luis Arise. He's just been lights out hitting, on base percentage, everything. A little power every now and then, too. But people don't talk about Jorge Polanco enough, I don't think. Here's a guy who's had a really solid first half. Yeah, it's been, it's been pretty similar to last year, I think, which is maybe why it doesn't get the notice. You know, we talk often about how if a guy gets off to a hot start and he's hitting 350 after after April, you know, he's still, even if he starts to slump a little bit, his average is still up around 300 for a large chunk of the season. Sometimes it goes the other way where, you know, Polanco didn't get off to a great start, not a terrible start, but he just looked kind of ordinary. Uh, since coming back especially, it seems like that time off, just giving his back a little break, did him a lot of good, and he's just been slugging for incredible power. I think yeah. he did six home runs since coming off the IL. Um, and that's the guy we saw last year, uh, and it's the breakout player we saw in 2019, and that just kind of looks like it's who Jorge Polanco is. I think you're right that he maybe doesn't get the mention he deserves in that ABC group. Right, and, and I think you know moving him to second was huge. Defensively, he's much better there um, than he was over at shortstop, and, and things play out uh, pretty well with him at that position. If we were to sit here um, today, it's the end of July, moving toward... Um, Moving toward trade deadline, all the other stuff. What uh, what odds do you give the Twins to a just make the postseason, but b still win this division? Um, I'm gonna go to win the division. I'm gonna go sixty forty. I, I still feel like they're probably the favorites, but maybe not by a lot. I think the White Sox are actually starting to wake up. They look scary in the series, especially offensively. They were just obliterating the baseball, which I think a lot of people have been waiting on for them. Yep. Um, and I do think they'll be aggressive at the trade deadline. You know, they're they're all in. They got their old Hall of Fame manager who they're sticking with. You know, they got uh, a team that's built to, to make a run. They were the favorites. They had World Series aspirations. So I expect them to be aggressive, maybe maybe even make a really huge blockbuster move. Uh, and that's going to make things tough on the Twins. Like, they're just – they haven't been playing well for, quite honestly, several months. I think they're five games under 500 in the last couple months. Um, and they don't show signs of – being able to turn it around unless some of these pitchers can really reverse what's going on with them. Can a, is it, as far as, far as yeah. making the playoffs, I think the odds are almost the same. I, don't, I really don't think any wild cards are coming out of the AL Central. Yeah, that's what, that's what makes it a little bit tough right now is the AL East almost has those locked up. Or the Seattle Mariners, right. who have been on a real roll lately. And, and before the season, I thought the Mariners were certainly going to be in the mix for, for a wild card. Now they're starting to show, too, hey, we're, we're, we are that team you thought we were. And we're going to do all right. So, um, Nick Nelson, yeah. we sure appreciate you being on the show this week. Uh, thanks for joining us, talking Twins, and um, hopefully the sixty forty will turn the sixty percent way for the Twins at the end yeah, of the season. <laughs> so, it's been a pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me on. All right, you, you bet. And now it's time for the state of Minnesota sports. A little bit of trade action for the Wild uh, after re-signing. Fleury, their goaltender that they traded for last year uh, to a two-year extension, there was some speculation of what are they going to do now with these two goaltenders between him and Cam Talbot, um, who kind of split some time once Fleury came over. But then, you know, what happened in the playoffs and, and Fleury didn't do very well. Uh, well, they traded Talbot and got back a young goaltender who doesn't have a lot of experience but who's cheap and so it's really clear here with the Wild, they're going to go with Fleury in goal. He is, you know, a great goaltender throughout his career, getting a little long in the tooth. Maybe you have this young guy, 
and uh, develop him a little bit to take over, or maybe not. Maybe he's just a, a good backup and a placeholder, and um, you know they have somebody in their developmental system that will take that on, somebody they draft, whatever the case might be, but they've got Fleury for two more years, and uh, Talbot goes, you know, and, and it, he says all the right things in the media. You know, I don't hold any grudges. I, I'm excited to be in a new situation, uh, but the reality is he could see what was happening, and and knew what was going on, and and um, you know the Wild got something back, and of course Talbot's 35 years old as well, so it's not like he's going to be in the league for another decade or something that we're trading away some really young talent. Uh, but a little, you know, a little bit of drama there with the Wild, but uh, there, you know, give gave him a little bit more flexibility too uh, with free agent spending, and to be able to fill in some holes, and and sign some some players as well. The uh, the Vikings. Who again? Training camps coming up right around the corner. They uh, there's there's rumors out there that they are pursuing Ndamukong Sue and see if he might be willing to come here. I would guess on a one year deal, a prove it sort of a deal. And um, I asked a, a former student of mine, Trey Wicks. He hosts the Vikings podcast now, and and he thinks it's a really good idea to do that. Anything to disrupt things more on the defensive line. Of course, Sue. Uh, can bring some baggage with him as well. And it remains to be seen, does this new regime for the Vikings want to deal with things like that in favor of talent? Um, it sounded like the last I was reading, uh, Sue was deciding between the Vikings and the Raiders, uh, between teams that he might want to go to. Certainly very talented, could make another difference. He's not going to play every down anymore, uh, but could make a difference on that line and my guess would be he's holding out just a little bit. Uh, he maybe doesn't want to have to come to training camp uh, for the whole time. But at the same time, you know, if he looks at a team like the Vikings and says, "Here's a, here's an up and coming team that I think has a chance to do something," but of course, you can look at the Raiders the same way. And I would guess that his this stage in his career that um, you know, a million dollars here, a million dollars there. Well, it's a lot to you and me. Wouldn't necessarily be a lot to him. I'm torn on this. Uh, I kind of told Trey this in a little online conversation. I just I'm not sure it's worth it, but certainly would welcome him in. And as we've seen, you know, with uh, some young secondary players, the Vikings have to be able to put pressure on the quarterbacks. You can't allow an Aaron Rodgers time to sit back in the pocket as long as he wants. Um, you know, you're going to play some really good quarterbacks this year, and you can't let that happen. So uh, it remains to be seen, and and. Again, the Vikings sign them, great. If not, go to the Raiders. Uh, they're in the AFC anyway, and we wouldn't have to worry about that at all. But um, we'll see. There, <clears throat> there's a lot of speculation online, again, of, of just how many games the Vikings are going to win. And, of course, Colin Coward had come out earlier and said they're going to win 16 games, which seems ludicrous. Uh, he's backed that off now to 13 games, 13 wins for the Vikings, and, and uh, 13 or 14, and certainly we'd take that in a heartbeat. Uh, he thinks they're going to win the division. Um, I'm I'm optimistic that can happen. Uh, I'm just not sure it's going to be the case this year, but uh, we'll do some training camp previews and speculation next week before they get to TCO Performance Stadium there in the Twin Cities. The Lynx is the same old, same old. They, they'll win a game or two, and then they'll lose in tremendously bad fashion. And Coach Cheryl Reeve called out the leadership on this team after their latest loss. And I don't know if this is just a 
you know, ploy by the head coach. What can I do to fire them up to try to get them there? Uh, when I was lucky, you know, they don't have a whole lot of games remaining. I think it's about nine games left. They're a game and a half out of the last playoff spot. The teams that are ahead of them, like the Phoenix Mercury, the Los Angeles Sparks, they play those teams yet down the stretch. But then they, on the other hand, they also play the Connecticut Sun three times, a team that stands at, I think it was 17 and 9. Uh, well, you're going to have to beat some good teams to make the playoffs. You can't simply beat you know, the cellar dwellers where the Lynx reside as well. You can't just beat the under 500 teams. Um, and I'm very concerned that you know, there's still time, of course, but the, the end to the longest consecutive years making the playoff streak by a professional team around here in quite some time is going to come to an end this year. The Lynx can't seem to find their traction um, one step forward, two steps back as they plot along toward the end of their season. As we talked about the Twins in our interview segment, uh, you know a lot of good stuff from Nick, but when you look at coming out of the All-Star break, and this time, and we mentioned that, you know, five days off, unbelievable. And uh, <clears throat> I think there was something where they were going to maybe play a game on Friday, move some stuff around when the start of the season uh, changed around, but then there's some makeup games for the Tigers and, and whatever else. But it is uh, quite a gamut coming up here, and I just want to kind of examine what's what's happening and we never know what to expect out of these twins, as Nick and I talked about, kind of up, down. You can look really, really good for a few days and then really, really bad for a few days, just like they did against the Chicago White Sox in losing three out of four at home. Going into the break, it's like they had decided to take their break a little bit earlier. They come out and go to Detroit for two games. Guess what? They're not going to go to Detroit and sweep the Tigers in two games because they're going to come out and, and both teams have rested and they're going to split that that two-game series, I'm going to guess. Then they head to Milwaukee for two games. Milwaukee, another good team, first place in the National League Central. We split with them at home. I would foresee splitting with them in Milwaukee as well. You know, the thing when you come out of the All-Star break is quite likely, it's sort of like the beginning of the regular season. You're coming out with your number one starter, your number two, you're kind of working that through. Um, so it's likely that the Twins will start they'll over the weekend series with Detroit, You'll probably see Sonny Gray and Joe Ryan pitch, and then you get um, a little bit deeper into there and the Dylan Bundys of the world and stuff when you go to Milwaukee. Uh, but Milwaukee will probably be in the same situation too, throwing their best pitchers uh, to start out of out of the break. After you go to Milwaukee, and again, this is quite a road trip. They don't play at home again until August. Uh, at San Diego, well, A, it's a long road trip. You know, to get out to San Diego and B, San Diego is a good ball club. And one can only imagine Taylor Rogers coming in in a save situation and he'll be fired up um, against the team that traded him. So you got that um, seven game road trip to start out of the break. Then you come home and you've got Detroit again. And again, these, you know, it still rankles a little bit the four out of five games that they dropped in Detroit earlier this year. You've got to beat a team like this that at the break stands at 37 and 55 when you are 50 and 44. You've got to beat those, that team a lot of times. Toronto comes to Minnesota as well. See if they get revitalized after firing their manager. It worked for the Phillies, at least for a while. Uh, can it work for the Blue Jays as well? 
But you even look farther down the road, and this is this is a, a tough stretch, and we'll talk more about it as we get to it all the time. But then you head out to Los Angeles to play the Dodgers, a team that really took it to us early in the year. They're still the Dodgers. They're still a very, very good um, baseball team. They've won 10 more games than the Twins have. Um, while you're out on the West Coast, you play the Angels, who we haven't seen yet this year, who have underperformed, started the year off really well, but have come back down to earth. Um, you know, so you're doing that West Coast trip a little bit, and then as you keep going down the line, you come back home, play the Kansas City Royals, play the Texas Rangers. Um, you know, you've got these teams, but you just look at this stretch over the next 20 games or so, and it's not going to be good enough to just be 500 anymore, which is sort of where they've been going, kind of piddling along for quite a while. You can't keep doing that because the Cleveland Guardians and the Chicago White Sox are right there, and if the Twins hope to win this division, they're going to have to make some changes, you know, both in their demeanor, their outlook on games, and again, maybe we'll see as the trade deadline, which I believe is August 2nd this year, so right in the middle of their three-game homestand against the Detroit Tigers. We'll see how the team looks both before and after that, and we'll certainly track it here on this show as well. So a lot to be seen. Hopefully everybody will take advantage of the five days off, including those of us who like to watch and listen to the games uh, quite a bit. A little bit of a break from that, and we'll see how they come out of the break. And that's the state of Minnesota sports. And now it's time for This Week in Minnesota Sports History. On July 20th, in 1938, Tony Oliva was born. Happy birthday to Tony O. In 1969... The Apollo moon landing occurred on July 20th. And according to Twins Trivia, of course we had John Swole on here earlier, the seats the astronauts sat in are the same size as a stadium seat that you might sit in if you go to the ballpark. And the landing site, Tranquility Base, is roughly the size of a baseball diamond. So even the moon landing and baseball are connected. On July 20th in 1987, the Yankees' Don Mattingly tied a Major League Baseball record with 22 putouts in a 7-1 win at the Metrodome. In 2009, on July 20th, the Twins blew a 10-run lead for the second time in their history, losing to the A's 14-13 after leading 12-2 in the third inning. On July 21st, it's my wife Michelle's birthday. Happy birthday. In 1966, on July 21st, long before Michelle was born. The Twins' Jim Merritt tied an American League record with seven straight strikeouts in a 1-0 Twins win over the Senators in Washington, D.C. In 2017, on July 21st, the Twins unveiled a Tom Kelly statue in honor of the 30th anniversary of the first World Series win, a statue well-deserved by the Twins' two-time World Series winning manager. On July 22nd, in 1990, the Twins lost to the Yankees at the Dome 10-6, and all 10 runs the Twins gave up were unearned. Every infielder that day had an error for the Twins. Not a good day. On July 22nd, in 19, excuse me, in 2008, the Museum of Broadcasting announced that Twins announcer John Gordon would be enshrined there. I remember growing up listening to the great John Gordon on the radio as I'd be laying in bed at night hoping for the Twins to win. On July 22nd in 2021, the Twins traded Nelson Cruz to the Tampa Bay Rays, got Joe Ryan in return. Pretty good deal for the Twins. 
On July 23, 1964, future Hall of Famer Burt Campanaris of the Kansas City A's hit the first pitch he ever saw in the big leagues from Jim Cott for a home run. He added another home run and a stolen base at a 4-3 Twins loss. On July 24, 1961, Tony Oliva was signed by the Twins. Another great day in Twins history. In 1976, on July 24th, the Twins' Lyman Bostock became the fourth twin to bat for the cycle in a 17-2 win in Chicago against the White Sox. In 2011, on July 24th, Burt Blylevin was finally inducted into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, one of the great curveball pitchers and strikeout pitchers of all time. In 2020, on July 24th, the season finally opened, the pandemic season, with a 10-5 Twins win in Chicago over the White Sox. Remember that entire season, no fans until you got to playoff time. They had some um, changes and allowed so many people into different stadiums. On July 25th in 2019, the Twins beat the White Sox in Chicago 10-3 and became the first team in Major League Baseball history to hit five home runs in nine different games in a season. Of course, the Twins set the Major League Baseball all-time home run record in 2019. On July 26th in 1967, Jim Merritt again set a Twins record this time by pitching the first 13 innings of an 18-inning 3-2 win over the Yankees in New York. Imagine, 13 innings. Well, that's going to do it for another helping of waffles here at 365sportscast.com. I'm glad you decided to tune in and join me. Hope you'll come back each and every week, every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central. If you can't catch the original broadcast, each week's episode replays every evening at that same time. You can also check out all past shows on YouTube and Spotify. If you have thoughts about the show, if you think you might be a good interview, email me, waffleflipper22 at gmail.com, or message me on Twitter, at MrD1973. Next week, we'll be back with another look at Minnesota sports. We'll be closing in on the trade deadline. We'll do a little preview of the Vikings training camp, which will be coming up as well. Come on back. I'll have another special guest to delve into all that and more. Thank you again for joining me. This is Mark Domeyer signing off with Syrup.